And still talking about all issues to do with national teams. Uh, three national teams, in fact, have uh, literally secured their spot in the 2019 AFCON, uh, Madagascar. Uh, have qualified for the finals for the very, very first time. They beat Equatorial Guinea by goal to nil. Uh, they became the first team to qualify for a place in the finals. Uh, they have now been expanded from 16 to 24 teams. Now, that particular game uh, played in Vonto, Verona, after Madagascar were banned from using the uh, Hamansina Stadium in Antananarivo for the three matches or three months. They were later joined by Egypt, Senegal, Tunisia in qualifying for the finals uh, in Cameroon next June and July. So the BBC reporter uh, who specializes in covering African sport joins us on the line to take us through uh, each of those particular groups as well. And he's live in London. Uh, Nick Cavill, thank you so much for joining us. Not a problem at all, Robert. Pleasure pleasure to speak to you. Firstly, I just want to start off with South Africa. What did you make of Bafana Bafana's performance? Well, I think that they're still in the hunt to get to the Africa Cup of Nations finals, which is the main thing. Um, there were a few shocks yesterday, weren't there? I think a lot of teams, especially on their travels these days across Africa, really struggle uh, to, to get get to the place, especially with all the travel problems you have in a short space of time when you're playing on Friday or Saturday and you've got to play again on Tuesday. So, I mean, I think it was a shock that uh, they were held by Seychelles, um, and uh, especially after the 6-0 win on uh, uh, on Saturday. And I think that uh, your coach, uh, Stuart Baxter, you know, <laughs> was quite angry when he said, we beat them 6-0, and everyone said, yeah, but it's only Seychelles. And I think mm-hmm. Seychelles have gone out and proven that, they are, you know, they can put up a show and, they can, and then they can be strong. So, um, you know, I think the important thing, the long-term thing, is they're still very much in the hunt to, to get to the finals in Cameroon next year. I was fascinated by Madagascar, though, Nick, over and above everything else, because this qualification happening for the very first time. Yeah, I mean, and, and people will point to and say, look, uh, but it's the extent, it's expanded 2014 um, group that, that, that's, that's made them get in. But let's have a look at their qualifying. They're unbeaten. If you looked at the group before between Senegal, Madagascar, Equatorial Guinea, I'm sure a lot of people would have said, yes, Senegal straight through. And then I don't think anybody would have picked Madagascar. So they've gone out and proven um, that they can play football, that they can that they can do well, and that they can, you know, come together as a team. And I think that's something that's happening across a lot of the world at the moment where you don't necessarily have to have all the very, very top players to play the best football. You've got, you've got to have a good group of players and then bring them together. I mean, Zambia proved it when they won the Nations Cup. Cameroon uh, last year when they won the Nations Cup to a certain extent. They don't have those standout players that everybody looks to, but they come together as a team. So Madagascar, unbeaten. They drew two all with Senegal, so they, they are a team that can play football, so they fully deserve getting through. And they're top of that table, equal with Senegal on 10 points. So even though it's an extent, expanded uh, Nations Cup, they're still up there um, and pushing uh, to get to the, getting to those finals on merit. Would we have expected much though, Nick, from a Sudan sitting on zero points, eliminated Equatorial Guinea the same? I think before the, tour- before the tournament would have started, I would have said Sudan were probably one of the more favourite teams. Uh, they've been to recent Africa Cup of Nations. They've got a lot of money in the, in the, in the club game in, uh, in Sudan, and they're very well supported and very passionate um, for their club team. So you would have thought that maybe they, they could have come together and, and done something before, but, uh, you know, obviously they haven't done very well. And, uh, you know, sitting on zero points, I'm quite surprised by that. Equatorial Guinea... 
I mean, I think that's that's fairly average for them. And I think that, you know, we, that we have seen them at Africa Cup of Nations in, in recent past, but only because they host it and they they, they get swept along with the, the the emotion and the the wave of support from the from the the, the locals there. So uh, I'm not too surprised. I think it's Sudan there are the ones that maybe have surprised me about being so poor and coming away with f- four losses so far. I know they left it till very, very late, but the good thing is they are through now, and that's all that really, really matters. Now, when, when you drop down and you have a look at where Egypt and Tunisia were, literally helping each other to qualify for uh, next year's expanded finals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think from that from that group, they were always going to be the favourites. Uh, you know, with all due respect to, uh, to, to Iswatini and Niger, um, those are the two of the strongest teams. They were both at the World Cup earlier this year. They've both got very strong league systems, and they've got some very good players overseas at the moment, especially Egypt. So, I mean, I think that, that we know that those are the strong teams. And for Egypt to, to be the only team so far to have won all four games, I'm sorry, Tunisia, the only teams to have won all four games so far so they they will be a, a force to be reckoned with i think uh, going forward into the into the cameroon next year i think sometimes um those north african teams when they do come sub-saharan africa to play in in their in the finals they do struggle a little bit with the conditions but i think that you know we know that tunisia and egypt especially have got some very talented players what does this say about eswatini as well as niger because literally sitting on one point each and there's a huge gap now when you look at tunisia with uh, 12 points like you say winning all the matches and egypt on Nine. Yeah, I mean, I think that those two teams have, have, have got a lot ahead of them. I mean, I think, you know, Isotini, obviously a very small country and population-wise, which shouldn't really uh, count against them when we look at somebody, someone like Iceland and other nations who can come together. Again, it's probably about development there. Niger, I think, have probably missed a trick because they have been to the, the, the Africa Cup of Nations in the last sort of 10 years a couple of times. Uh, you know, they should be developing on that and pushing forward and trying to build on the, that success for the future. But it, I think in a group like that, it, it, it does look uh, probably worse than it is for those two teams because we know that uh, Tunisia and Egypt are so strong and especially um, having to travel uh, north uh, to play those games as well. So, you know, the travel aspect as well has got to come into it. Group B was kind of fascinating to me, though, Nick, because when I looked at Cameroon, obviously qualifying as hosts, but then they still, what, three teams, three nations that are in contention? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a bit strange, this one. I, I, I'm not so sure that this that, that um, the CAF have got this correct because, uh, you know, it, 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 it's slightly complicated because the matches that Cameroon play don't uh, they don't get they get points but it, they they've already also they qualified but for the other teams the points that they do collect are very important because they want to qualify um, and there's only one place from those three teams so it seems a little unfair that they have been included now I'm not sure what the fairest system would be and and it, you know you've got to wonder to a certain extent whether Cameroon how seriously Cameroon are, are taking the, the tournament. Um, in some matches, in the home match against Malawi uh, last week, we saw ex- Eric Maxim Chupomoti um, captaining the team, the Paris Saint-Germain striker scoring the goal as well. Mm. And then he decided, then he didn't travel down to, 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 to Malawi. Now, um, some cynical people may say that he's decided not to play that game because it's not an important game, that he's probably looking more at his club. Um, but that's the danger with Cameroon uh, in this situation because they don't have to take it seriously, but their opponents do. Um, and I think that you know Malawi <clears throat> getting a goalless draw against them that that'll worry um, the Cameroonians ahead of uh, the uh, tournament next year. A lot of Cameroonian fans. Clarence Seydorf has said he is building a team 
for those finals already, and he wants to bring back some people like uh, Joel Matip, who've refused to play recently. Uh, but if if they carry on performing the way they did, because even in the home game they didn't play particularly well against Malawi, even though they came out with a 1-0 win. I, I, I watched a lot of that game and a lot of the shots from both sides were coming from outside the area, so they really didn't seem to be have a cohesiveness there. And I think they're probably missing Benjamin Makanjo in the midfield there as somebody to orchestrate and create things for them. Um, so uh, yeah, I think Clarence Sadoff has got a tough job ahead of him. Would have been fascinating to see if they were not the hosts, how things would pan out, though, for Cameroon. And just to give a, a proper dipstick feel about how they are uh, overall with the new management that has come through again, again and quite interesting points that you make uh, overall. Now, when it comes to Group C, <laughs> um, there was something quite fascinating that I picked up there. Obviously, South Sudan is rock bottom of there. They've been eliminated. Uh, Burundi, can they put their hands up, Nick? Um, I think it's going to be very tough for them. I mean, I think they, you know, it's it, <laughs> they've, they've got matches left against um, uh, South Sudan and and uh, and, um, and Gabon, so that's going to be tough for them. Um, and you know, they one of those games at home, if they can win it and then go away and draw, um, that's going to be um, that. That's what they've got to hope for. And I think that's what a lot of these um, so-called what we call smaller nations uh, really aim for is to win those home games and then manage to see if they can get a draw away uh, from home. You see Burundi there. They've got their six points. One match, one, and three draws. So those draws can be very, very important for them if they can grab them away from home. Gabon going through a bit of uh, change at the moment with their new coach, uh, Daniel Cousin. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how well he can um, transfer his knowledge and skills from his playing days onto that, that Gabon team and how much he can sort of motivate um, some of those top players, especially the likes of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who's quite outspoken and vocal about the uh, the Gabon Football Federation. So I think one of the secrets for Daniel Cousin there is going to try and get somebody like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and the likes of Lemina and Dong, those types of big characters, on site to play for him and play for Gabon and not to be thinking about too much about the Gabon Football Federation. If I'm not wrong, though, and while you talk about the big names and uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is, is one of them, he didn't travel, though, uh, with the team to Juba. Did they give any reason for this? Exactly. I mean, these are what these are the sorts of uh, of things that um, I, the reports I've been hearing. Um, again, I'm you know these, these are just what I've heard is that he wasn't happy with some of the travel arrangements. I mean, it may not be that at all. Um, but these are the sorts. If that's the case, that's what that's why I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is that it's down to a personality like Daniel Kuzan to try and get ride back into Obermang. I mean, there's, there's um, big stars that all over Africa these days, um, big names who play for the very biggest clubs in Europe. And I, I'm sure when, when they're playing in Europe and they're being flown all over the, the Europe for European uh, Champions League matches, first class and all that sort of things, and they come back to Africa, they've got to expect, they've got to know that things aren't going to be the same. Things are going to be different. And they've got to take it on the chin and they've got to play for that national pride, to play for that shirt that uh, every young kid across the continent wants to play for, no matter what country you're in. They, the kid, That's what they want to do. And you've got to believe that they want to do it for the passion and, and not for, and, and sort of recognize that things are different in Africa and it's not a European thing. You're not going to get the same treatment and they've got to, you know, find that passion and instill that passion in a lot of these players um, so that they then turn up for their countries rather than turning up for themselves.
Yeah, without a doubt. And, and and I suppose they would know again, Nick, that they've grown up in those uh, countries, maybe some for a shorter period of time, that those luxuries aren't there. You're not going to be flying and be uh, served prawns exactly. on a warm plate or something like that. that really exactly, that, and that's it. And, 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 and it's got to, you've got to push that aside and, and say, right, well, I'm playing, yes, I am playing international football, which everybody else, all the people out there are watching me play international football and they want me to do well. And that surely should be, for me, is, the, is what the pride, where the pride and passion should come from, uh, rather than saying, well, I, I, I can't stretch my legs on this aeroplane and therefore I'm not going to travel. You know, I think that, that we, you've got to suck it up and, and go out there and play, uh, you know, <laughs> Every kid, when they grow up, what do you want to do? I want to be a professional footballer. They don't have, you know, that's the passion. That's what you want to do. It's a job. You know, most people play it for fun. You, it's your job. Um, you know, accept it's your job uh, and, uh, and, and accept that you're a very lucky person to be paid for doing something that most people uh, do for fun. I couldn't wait to ask you about Group D, though, because the minute I heard that uh, Stefan Sessegnon has shown the red card, then I thought, OK, fine, Algeria are going to be in the driving seat. They'll go on and win. They are the favourites as far as this group is concerned. But it didn't happen. How did it, Benin pull it off? I, it's what again one of those ones when you're at home, um, you know. North again, I was mentioning North African teams coming to sub-Saharan Africa, not always um, doing well. Algeria with a new uh, with a new coach Belmadi coming in recently. It's you know, and as you say, Stefan Sessignon getting sent off was was a big thing. And I guess the, um, the, the, you'd have thought Algeria could have come back from that. But again, I think a country like Benin, um, where the where they do have where Stefan Sessegnon is probably the most well-known player in recent years, and now you've got Steve Mounier at, at Hull City. You know, it's a team that comes together and, and doing what I was saying earlier, playing for passion, playing for their nation, playing for their country, and, and that's w- what inspires them. I mean, you know, the man who scored the goal, uh, all-important goal for Benin, Sessi uh, Dalmeida, I don't know whether you realise that he plays for Yeovil Town, which is in the fourth tier here in England. Yes. Um, so... You know, here's a man who, 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 who's just he's happy to play international football. He wants to go out there and prove himself against the very best with Algeria. So, Algeria, you know, they, if they'd won, they would have gone through. Um, it was in their own hands. I still think they will probably go through from this group. They're still top of it. Um, but yeah, it was a great win for Benin, and I think you know those sorts of wins at home put teams like Benin uh, on the uh, on the track. Uh, to get to the finals and also in Group D there was also the red card uh, for, for Togo their captain was sent off uh, about 14-15 minutes from the end but they still managed to go on and win 1-0 in the Gambia with Floyd Aite he scored right in the, in the dying minutes and I know that uh, a lot of journalists across uh, and fans across the Gambia were very very disappointed with that because that would have been a, a good opportunity for them to close up the gap on Benin and Algeria and keep their hopes you know alive of maybe pushing for a place in the final. So, um, you know, it was Togo who managed to take advantage of the Algerian slip-up and move closer to those, those top two. Sure. I was going to say, you know, Togo right back in it here. I mean, so much great football. So in the group now, we were talking earlier about uh, the Group B where Nigeria, South Africa, Libya uh, find themselves um, occupying space is Nigeria. Everybody's now all of a sudden looking forward to November when South Africa will play against Nigeria at the FNB Stadium <laughs> in Johannesburg. And my, oh my, I wish that becomes a sellout because we need this clash to happen. Yes, I'm sure. 
sure that I mean I know that, uh, that it's, it's it's an old rivalry between between those two nations, and I know that uh, you know um, that you know South Africa went there earlier this year and managed to get uh, in the in the tournament and, and to get that win and what have you. So it's going to be a, you know a difficult match uh, for Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria, let's not forget they had one of their most famous moments in recent years in that very stadium when they won the Africa Cup of Nations in 2013. So they'll be looking forward to going back to that, uh, this, that stadium. Um, they were very lucky again on, 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 um, uh, on Tuesday evening. They were 2-0 up within 20 minutes, and then, the, then they let Libya back into it, and then only scored with about five or six minutes to go. So, um, you know, South Africa have got to watch out for Odion Igalo. He scored what, five goals in those two games uh, against Libya. He looks like he's getting back to some of his the form that we saw with what that then deserted him and he's had a really tough time since and the likes of Ahmed Musa whose moves to Leicester here really didn't work out but we saw him in Russia uh, at the World Cup and for his club in Russia where he plays so well he obviously play, enjoys living and working in Russia but that's going to be a, a, a fascinating match uh, uh, between those two uh, to see who can uh, you know to see who can come out on top. Uh, hopefully, they'll both go for it. If you look at the group, maybe a draw would suit both teams. But uh, you know, uh, that's not going to uh, please the fans, and the fans have to go out. You know, they have to go. You know, back their team and try and uh, make sure that they, uh, they win the game to get that pride. I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, quite sad again, Nick, when you when you look at the plight, though, of Libya having uh, topped the group, having had such a good coach, such a good manager being in charge of them, and now pulling away literally on the eve of such an important clash. But, you know, who can blame Amrucha? He's a direct, he's a straightforward talker, and he pulls no punches. Exactly. I mean, I think Libya, you know, um, they've got an awful lot of problems uh, back home. They don't play at home. They play in, in, in Tunisia. Getting the team together, the, the club football in, in Libya isn't happening properly. Um, so a lot of these players, uh, you know, spread a, a around North Africa in different leagues. So it must be extremely difficult for the the, the, um, the football federation to get the necessary funding. Uh, there is no, there won't be the private businesses that you know some of these bigger nations can rely on to to, to fund them, um, and obviously the government have got other things to worry about in that uh, in that country, so they won't be funding football. So somebody like having Adal Amrush on board was obviously a good thing for them, but. If people are interfering, if he doesn't, isn't happy with the administration, if he's not happy, if he doesn't think he's getting paid regularly enough, then he's a sort of guy who's just going to walk away. So, yeah, it's 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 difficult for Libya. They, you know, they've obviously got some talent there because they were also at the the the, the Chan tournament earlier this year as well. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a, it's sad to see um, that the, the, they're struggling um, again uh, to, to qualify from this group. But they were always going to struggle. I mean, in this group, it, Nigeria and South Africa were always probably going to be the favourites. And given the problems Libya have had, it, it's, it is going to be difficult for them uh, at any stage to get out of this group. But uh, I think they've got bigger things ahead of them that they need to sort out in order to get their football back on track. I was on air last night chatting like I'm chatting to you right now, Nick, and I had one eye on the Zimbabwe game. And I was like, I mean, they are our immediate neighbours. Kamabiliat is one player that plies his trade here. And Teenage Hadebe as well plies his trade here. One scored an own goal. One scored a proper goal. They could have qualified through if uh, they had won Zimbabwe. But they're just doing so much better now as a nation. 
They are, and I think, you know, you've got to, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, not just football as well. Uh, I know the Zimbabwe cricket team have been down to play in South Africa recently as well. Uh, I know that the um, uh, the Zimbabwe Rugby Sevens team just won the uh, Africa Cup in Tunisia over the weekend when they beat Kenya, one of the better Sevens teams in the world as well. So, you know, it really, the sport in, in Zimbabwe really seems to be coming alive uh, once again. And as you say, having, having that ability to have so many players go down and play at a, probably a slightly higher level in South Africa where um, there's probably more better facilities than there are, are in, in Zimbabwe, I think that will help them an awful lot. And, I, and having a player like Kama Biliat, who's, you know, one of the best um, players on the continent, went plowing his trade on the continent at the moment, uh, over the last couple of years um, is also a massive boost for Zimbabwe uh, and I think it was just a shame for them that you know they went to Kinshasa over the weekend and they won that game and then not to be able to beat <laughs> beat them uh, at home uh, in Harare especially later on in the day because Liberia did them a massive favour by beating Congo Brazzaville and if Zimbabwe had won that match against DR Congo and that Liberia game had gone the same way we would be talking about Zimbabwe as one of the qualifiers um, for for those Nations Cup finals. So yeah, it's um, it, it was a shame that they didn't do it, but I, you've got to look at the group and think that um, that, that they still have a, a good chance when they because they've got matches against Congo Brazzaville left and uh, a, against Liberia. So you would think that they'll get enough points from those matches uh, to go through to the to the finals next year. All right, let's. Uh... Start wrapping it up next with the Group H, which for me, you know, sees Rwanda at the bottom. I would have hoped that they had improved for this Cup of Nations. Uh, so they sort of won point, 10 points for Guinea. How is that one shaping up for you? I mean, I think, you know, Guinea, uh, uh, Guinea, another team that, one of those teams that they don't have the big stars. They've got one or two big players. Obviously, we know about Naby Keita um, leading the way, and they're getting, getting a few players um, from around, uh, you know, the, the French leagues and what have you as well. So, you know, I think the disappointing thing here is Ivory Coast being going to Central African Republic and only getting a, a nil-nil draw. You would have expected Ivory Coast to uh, be top of this group and, uh, you know, on the verge of, uh, of winning the group ahead of Guinea. Uh, but you've got to look at that group and think that uh, Guinea and Ivory Coast are both very close to to to, to qualifying. Uh, Guinea uh, drawing one-one in Rwanda, but Naby Keita, their key player, when it going off at half-time, a big problem not only for Guinea in the second half of that match, I'd say, because uh, Rwanda scored uh, late in the second half to get to grab the draw, but uh, also for, for Liverpool back in the Premier League. We're just hearing that Sadio Mane is going to have to have treatment on his hand. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's not going to be happy with these Africa Cup of Nations uh, qualifiers. He's got three African players key to his team and they're all gone back injured. So uh, I think Guinea and Ivory Coast will go through from that group. Crazy. You know, I'm loving this chat. I didn't even look at the time, Nick. I give you <laughs> one of the groups, either Group I or K or L, to finally talk about uh, as we wrap things up. I think I is a fascinating one again because we've yeah. got another team here, Mauritania. Top of this group, uh, they beat Burkina Faso. Uh, they um, they beat Angola uh, this weekend, uh, last night, and they lo- having lost to them 4-1. So I think Mauritania, uh, another team that could be going to their first ever uh, Africa Cup of Nations finals, and they're finishing a- they're up ahead of the likes of Burkina Faso and Angola. So I think that's uh, a cracking one there. Um, and the- another one, which is my favourite, 
I used to live in Uganda, so I've got a bit of a, a passion for Uganda. For them, I think yeah. it'd be great to see Uganda go uh, to another <laughs> Nations Cup. They uh, they did they've done very well to to get top of their group as well. So, um, but yeah, I think Mauritania is another one to look out for because that would be another big story if they make it through to the the Nations Cup finals. Oh, without a doubt, Nick, so refreshing, so thorough, so proper. Really love chatting to you, and I hope we do this again pretty soon. Uh, we we learn from each other, and I think you've just given us so much, so much. Uh, to think about and really to acknowledge as far as your knowledge of the game on the African continent is concerned. And thank you so much for joining us here on Radio 2000. Thank you for having me on, Robert. It was a, a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, Nick Cavill, reporter for the BBC, yes. joining us and specializing in covering African sports. Oh, Don't you just love it when the person knows what he's talking about? Conversation just seems to flow and information keeps coming through and that's exactly what uh, Nick Cavill was able to dish out here uh, for us I think it's important to read this tweet from Prince Lesupi who says the very same Bafana Bafana might beat Nigeria and we'll be hailing the brilliance of the coach and the players how horrible are we as a nation for our national team to opt to lock themselves in hotels and be scared to face us Hey, I thought that's an important tweet to read because we might wallow in all of this that is happening right now and the disappointment. The thing is, we have not been kicked out of the Nations Cup yet. People didn't turn up on Saturday, did they, at the FNB Stadium? Where is South Africa as far as the national team is concerned? And I think the point that Prince brings forward is an important one to say we need to develop a form of trust between national team players as well as the nation. For this nation that has hardly been qualifying for anything in recent time, to be able to walk onto the FNB Stadium, especially in a big game against Nigeria, feeling the same excitement that this nation felt when we played against the likes of Ghana in 1996. If you remember that night game when the late John Shoesmashu literally tore them apart. That energy, you know, because it's almost like there's a feeling of walking on eggshells now when you're going to be playing and walking out at home. I don't know, but I just thought, you know what? Let's hear it from the other side. And I think Prince, spot on with that tweet. That's what debate's all about. See things differently.